Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello everybody, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thank you so much again for joining us. Rugby is getting more crazy and more nuts, not less crazy and less nuts. And just to try and get some shape and to pick the bones out of it, I have two excellent guests today. One is Mark Palmer, our Scottish distinguished, I should say, Scottish rugby correspondent. And the other is the great Will Kelleher. And lads, um, I just want to ask you, just to give us a taste of which games you covered on the weekend. Mark, where were you? Sitting on my couch, actually, Steve. It's uh, my young fellow's birthday this weekend, so I got a rare Saturday and Sunday off, would you believe? But Mark, uh, Will, surely you were at a big game. Well, no, you've done us like a kipper, both of us there, because I was having a break too. There's been too much news happening in the week, and the, the games we haven't been able to attend, so... But we're fully into it this week. Seven days, no break. Six Nations is here. We kind of need it, don't we? We the... do, but it's funny you should say that because I didn't go to a game either. Oh, no. I uh, was... Were you a breaking news? I was in Wales breaking news in Wales and I didn't go to a game. So it's a great panel today because none of us saw any rugby <laughs> on the weekend. But uh, coming up on today's podcast, we'll be looking at the Six Nations and what a, what a fantastic prospect it is. Probably because rugby's suffering here and there. This prospect of the Six Nations glorious prospect is just something that I think we all really need and the game really needs. First of all though we'll be going to or looking at the Calcutta Cup on Saturday at Twickenham in the company of Will and Mark and also the former Scottish captain John Barclay is going to join us. Uh, John, a very very um, enticing before we start, just ask you, when you played rugby, would you, how would you have managed if you had not been able to tackle anyone above the waist? Oh, God, straight into it. It would have changed the game, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, bizarrely, I was probably, I was a low tackler, but sure. yeah, I think, and I had to have, you had to have the ability to tackle high. And that was kind of the fun of the game was tackle selection, actually making choices, making the right tackle selection for the right ball carrier is, is part of the game. So, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mess this week with all this stuff going on, isn't it? It is a terrible. John, we read you in the Times this morning on on the game on Saturday. It strikes me is that it's huge for Scotland in that with England being in some sort of disarray, obviously with Borthwick there, they won't be quite so bad, but they do have a, a few players out. Scotland almost favourites for it now. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Certainly wouldn't go that far. I guess history would suggest that they're anything but favourites going down there. But no, I, I think there's it's it's like that whole preseason thing. And I was trying to mark about it last week. You know, no one actually knows where they are until they play the game, and that's what's I guess so impressive about the likes of Ireland and France. They seem to just pick up exactly where they left off. So we don't know what to expect. Scotland have got a reasonably 
that outside, albeit with some some injuries and, and guys lacking a bit of game time, probably in key positions. So yeah, I look I look at England, I just look at the quality they've got throughout that team. You know, there's ways to pull a team together and, and from everything I've heard and listened to about Steve Bortley, he's he's the man that can definitely make that happen within a couple of weeks. John, I was gonna ask you about um, that twenty eighteen game and actually when I was watching the um Edinburgh Saris the other day, it seemed like there was a concerted effort from a couple of guys to rile up the likes of Billy Vanapola, Maritoji and a few others. I know Billy's not playing, but was that something that you took in in that 2018 game? I mean, there was that famous tunnel bust up with Ryan Wilson, wasn't there? But could you take <laughs> us back a few years and, and tell us how you, you managed it that day? Um, I think you take it a year further back, um, 2017. And I think we were we were probably as, as poor as we were from a sort of performance point of view. I think there was a lot of, let's just put it, a little bit of disappointment in terms of the way that some of the England players probably carried themselves that day in in the in the game and beyond. So that was um, the one where they that was the 60-21 oh, one. That one. Yeah, yeah. So there was just a bit of uh, I think the aim was always going to be there from the game itself. But I remember it was, we were probably still smarting a little bit from the game, but also from I guess some of the behaviour or work or stuff that was said. So that's the great thing about the Six Nations. So you hope you get another chance out of it. So we got another chance out. You know, playing England, you never get a chance to obviously play that game again. But I think we were probably we probably aired on the emotional side that game, and it's like derbies. We always talk about: do you really focus on the emotion, or do you focus on the technical tactical side of it? And often it's a blend of the two. But it was chance of Roy best a few weeks ago, and it's interesting just to hear that they, they kind of did the same stuff. Like in, in Ireland, they, they tried to focus as much as they can on the the technical tactical stuff early in the week so that when you get you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday you, you can really lean on that emotional side of the game which is still really important so I think we probably got the balance just right that week Ryan probably pushed it a bit in the tunnel uh, <laughs> literally pushed it like, <laughs> well I think I think well, he didn't push anyone I don't think okay, got it. Yeah. we got it right that week and there was a build up to it and it just felt I don't know it was one of those games that you know from kickoff you kind of felt like we weren't going to lose yeah John, no, I, I, and I'll ask uh, Mark Palmer this as well the same question um, it's slightly baffling from this range um, when you look at, uh, at Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend, both fantastic players, both actually fantastic attacking players, but seem to have lost the wavelength and they, they sort of get the wavelength and they seem to lose it again. As far as we know, and this is obviously important for the team, are they back on the wavelength now 100%? Because if they are, it does change the stakes a bit. Uh, it seems to be. I do think we focus a lot, probably too much, on that relationship rather than just the, the performance side. Of it. And they've probably given us good reason to, to be fair, in the last couple of years. So um, it seems like, yeah, I think, I think I just look back at the the autumn series and the autumn series. You know, albeit as a very different proposition to Six Nations, but I think the quality that Pippin came in with in those last two games showed that he was back where he needed to be. I, I don't think he'd probably been playing his best rugby with Rasting for a little while. So but he looks like he's enjoying himself again. I mean, Gregor seems to be on a on a wavelength where they can, I guess, get on with things. So, yeah, I mean, regardless, Finn's going to be the most important player in that team. So, as best as they can manage that relationship, I think it's going to be great to make sure he gets the most out of himself and and those around him. And Mark, you're you're, you're close to Finn. Um, but how do you read it? Is he on form and um, in the right frame of mind? I think so, and I think the you know following on what John said there, I think they're probably in as good a place as they're ever going to be. I think it's one of those relationships where if they can find a way to work together, it's never going to be uh, a bed of roses. But um, as long as they're kind of uh, vaguely on the same page, then I think everyone benefits. And although it goes against every kind of grain of 
Gregor's coaching philosophy, I think he's realised that he can, you know, there's something to be gained from chucking the keys to Finn to a certain extent in terms of managing the attack um, and not trying to be too controlling about that. Um, and I think that's something, that, that that sort of space is, is where Finn produces his best work, uh, his most mad work as well. But I think, you know, if he feels he's been listened to and being given a, a, the responsibility to shape things then th- that's when I think he produces his best for the group. And, and, and John um, just on roughly on this in the same department everyone's looking for what you might call a, a Manu Tulagi um, England are looking for Manu or anyone but because Manu's not on great form but Tupilotto, um in the games I've seen the, 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 two, uh, the two teams play and also just the sort of player he is is he, is he a kind of missing link who's come into the Scottish team now with that power? I think the the centres has, has chopped and changed more than any position. And I, I think uh, Alistair Powers some stat about, you know, the, I think maybe like 24 different partnerships with 18 different players, something crazy over Gregor's, with Gregor's time in Scotland. So it's going to be a, a position or, or a pair of positions where we didn't really know who was going to play. I think we always knew Chris Harris was going to play at the moment, or we assumed he's going to play, but... Who plays inside him? We went from, you know, Cam Redpath was going to be the next big thing. And then he, he obviously got injured after one test, which was which was pretty brutal. Uh, Sam Johnson's been there. This chop changed, but I think to answer your question, I think I've watched Tree Plotu this year almost every week. He's taken his game to another level. The, you know, he seems to be taking the responsibility on uh, as, a, as a key playmaker. And I mean, you watch Glasgow playing. He's the man who is almost running the whole attack, it seems. You know, looking at him, looking from an outsider's point of view. So he's that kind of Bundyaki, yeah, Manu kind of role of Antipaisami, you know, that kind of role. We, you know, incredibly explosive, can be incredibly powerful direct, but also has a good skill set, which Scott, I think, can it'd be a nice sort of foil to sit to Finn to know that he can he can drop the ball off to him or Chris Harris, but he's also got something creative there. So there's not many players that can do both. John, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you mentioned consistency of selection there, but I was going to widen it out and talk about consistency of results. I was just going back through Gregor's Six Nations, and it's fascinating to see the sort of lack of ability to back up big wins, perhaps. So like, for example, 2017, beat Ireland, lost to France, beat Wales, lost to England. And more recently, 2021, beat England, lost to Wales, beat France, lost to Ireland. 2022, beat England, lost to Wales. So... Is it more in the Six Nations trying to put wins together, almost the targeting targeting the first two rather than just the first one, perhaps? Yeah, I think part of it is that the competition is so hard now, so you're not you're not getting beaten by you know mugs. So it's worth considering that. I look at last year was and was a massive opportunity miss. You know, down in Wales, I think Wales were there for the taking uh, that day, and there's been some performances. You know, the, the Murrayfield game the year before, it'd be England, and then. The following week, they had Wales at home again. And I guess the circumstances were a bit unusual that Xander Pagerson got sent off with 35 minutes to play. So you kind of felt like the right was, he was always going to be against them. But like, I think there, there's a, enough guys in there who are, who are very aware of that ability to have one big game. But I guess if you look back, we were always notorious slow starters. You know, we'd get beat in the first game and then we'd bounce back. So like, I think you could put together a couple of wins, especially this year, given the, the quality we think we're going to see. I think you guys, you got to put yourself in a pretty good spot. So whether that's, you know, game one, two, three, or, but you're going to have to put a few together because I think the pack, you know, below Ireland and France is all going to be scrapping out for that third position. John, you, you guys uh, were talking uh, in the Times about um, about second row. Basically, Grant Gilchrist, um, highly rated up there, possibly not so much in other parts of the game, but certainly up in Scotland. 
and uh, Richie, Richie Gray is being tipped by you guys as probably one of the sort of late career, in his late career, he's really going to blossom. I mean, th- that looks a likely sort of pairing to me. It's, and, and to you? Yeah, that's who, that's who I would pick. I think definitely. I think Goku is going to play and Richie, for whatever reason, I don't think necessarily your careers can be it's not a linear path, certainly mine wasn't. So give him an opportunity to, to come back in and start. He's been brilliant for Glasgow when I've watched him play. He's not, he's not as physical as, as other second rows, but I guess what he lacks in you know that physicality compared to others, um, he makes up for an athletic ability, line-out ability, scrummaging, mauling, all that sort of stuff, the stuff that he learned probably in a career in France. I was going to ask as well, I mean, uh, we spoke to Gregor Townsend on our pod last week and he was, he's was he been coy about his future, isn't he? Not sure whether he'll get a contract after this. If this is to be his last Six Nations, John, which it might be, what do you think Scotland will leave, he will leave Scotland with that that kind of legacy thing, good, bad or otherwise? What do you think he'll he'll leave behind if he does move on after this year? I, I mean, it's like a player, isn't it? You hope that we, if and when you leave, it's a bit of a cheesy cliche that you leave the team and the jersey in a better position but I think as a as a coach you would have the same hopes so and I guess off the back of that you just have to ask you know has Gregor left them in a better position and I think for me it would be a resounding yes I think you look at the, the quality of players he's brought through the dynamic of the group the work he's done I think particularly after 2019 and how disappointing that was and the ability he had as a coach to evolve as a coach and evolve his, his strategy so it's one of those things that I, you know I, would, I always joke about it I would hate to be a coach because you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't and at some point you're going to get sacked and that's the reality or you're going to be asked to move on you're not going to get a contract you know not many people I guess get the, the, the farewell that Vern Cotter got and people there's an assumption there that Vern would have gone on to you know, make Scotland this formidable force. But the reality is probably that the same situation would have happened. You know, Scotland would have lost a bit of form, as has happened with, you know, Wales and, and England with Eddie Jones, and that, that's what happened. So Vern did a lot of good work. For me, I, I, I do think that Gregor continued that work. It's been frustrating, I think, probably, is, is that it hasn't resulted in anything more serious in terms of contention for the Six Nations. But I also think there has to be a, a pinch of realism to it. You know, look at the quality of the teams you're playing every week. And then you look at the resources and the numbers that Scotland have. So it's probably unfair to judge, I think, a Scotland coach against an Ireland or a France or an England. And actually, for that, I think everything Greg has done should be, should be lauded, to be honest. Are they going to do it on Saturday? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it should be, it should be easy. But uh, as a, I don't know. I don't know. Rarely, rarely lose a Kill Cutter Cup these days. Well, it's, I mean, it's, 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 quite, it's quite unusual, isn't it, that for years and years, Scotland couldn't get their hands on it. And then they've had it for four of the last five years. So there'll be confidence going into the group. I think I really do believe that that, that group of Wales, England, and Scotland, I think they'll, be, they'll, they'll beat each other. And if one went against France, that'll be the difference. So I, I, I think the Scottish boys could win this weekend. I think it will be incredibly tight, and we we don't know what to expect from England. But I guess I'm avoiding the question. If I could, if I had to say yes or no, I'd say yes. Scotland will win this weekend. Uh, well spoken, well said, John. Um, John, yeah. thank, thanks a million for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you as the as the tournament goes. And uh, wishing yeah, you a great thanks. Six Nations as well. Thanks, guys. Well, that was John Barclay, and well worth uh, while. He's always good words. Mark, um, in terms of the general situation in, in Scotland, I, I think I've had this conversation with you many times. You always feel they're always on the verge of a run and, and putting them where they once were, and that is just a, 
one of the most difficult teams to beat in world rugby, really. Do you get the sense that if they do win, then there's a great chance of finally starting to kind of fulfil their aspirations and getting the getting the nation back on side? Possibly, although actually I would say that this is the first year in many where there really is no, you know, no sense of anybody saying, oh, this this could be our year, that this is when it's really going to turn. I think even the most uh, kind of... Uh, Ardent and optimistic fans have got to the point where um, sort of being on the cusp is the default position. Following on from our chat there with John, that's probably the biggest frustration of this whole Gregor Townsend era is that you know the, the, yes, there's been seasons of three wins, which is genuinely, genuinely, and gen- generally perceived to be be a good campaign, but it's never taken them to a point where going into the, the final weekend of a Six Nations, they're actually genuinely in contention, and so the, the, it's, they've taken a lot of steps forward, but not that kind of very last one from being a, a good side to one that is, is genuinely challenging for honours, and I think, yes, it could happen this year, but the whole point about how this is potentially a two-speed tournament, or a, a league within a league, where with France and Ireland, and then the rest, you know, even winning the three home games against Wales, Ireland and Italy, which in itself is going to be a, a hard ask, that, that could well not be enough to uh, to have you contending. So I think, you know, the best case scenario is probably that they are um, muddling along in that. Um, it's still on the cusp by the end of this tournament, I have to say. Two, um, it's uh, the, the, the two pro clubs, Edinburgh and Glasgow, they seem to me to be reached a point where, unlike previous seasons, they are devilishly difficult to beat on their day at, at home and, and and even once or twice away, are they still in an upward curve, however however sort of slowly? I think so, and certainly at Glasgow they've had a, a massive uplift this year uh, with the advent of, of Franco Smith. You know, we all know that Glasgow had had a, you know, under Sean Lane and then, then Gregor himself had gone on that great journey that, that ended in them uh, winning the, the, the Pro 12 title as it then was in 2015. They then had a bit of a dip. Albeit, uh, you know, with the odd success of getting to another final under Dave Rennie, but they, 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 there wasn't that same feel, feeling of them kind of, you know, persistently on the way up and, you know, developing their own talent and, you know, great Scottish players coming through of the likes of, you know, Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg and, and Johnny Gray, who'd all been and gone by that point. But since uh, since Franco came in in the summer, they've, they've rediscovered a, a bit of an edge to their game as well, while still maintaining that kind of typical Glasgow DNA of looking to, to move the ball from pretty much anywhere. The Edinburgh built some very solid foundations under Richard Cockrell and then I think that had naturally run its course once people stopped listening to being shouted at every day. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, no, I, I, and then Mike, Mike Blair came in last summer with a much more kind of touchy-feely style of management, shall we say, um, and a lot more ambitious game plan. Had some great early successes there, albeit they fell away in the second half of the season. This time round, it's been a more difficult second album for them. But again, recent weeks, especially with that Saracens win, they've shown an ability to sort of win in more than one way, which has been the big challenge for both of them over the years. Um, so I think, yeah, there is a genuine sense of, of both being kind of on an upwards trajectory, maybe Glasgow at a more advanced stage of that that journey than Edinburgh. It's a fascinating match up this weekend isn't it and I'm thinking with as someone who writes more about England than I do Scotland it's a weird flip this year I think because there's far more known about Scotland and who are going to play for Scotland and what they're going to play like than there is England with the obvious change of Borthwick coming in and new coaches Simfield Nick Evans there's going to be at least one debutante I think probably Hassel Collins will get a game and Jack Walker depending on how fit Jamie George is will either start or come off the bench I'd imagine 
But you mentioned their touchy-feely, Mark. It's a, it's a funny one because you wouldn't really imagine maybe that Steve Borthwick's the most touchy-feely head coach ever, but every performance he's given so far to us, Steve, in the press has been sensational, hasn't it? He's and, talked an amazing game, and now he needs to play one. And actually totally against what his, the perception we had yeah. of the guy was. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that's going to be the fascinating narrative for Saturday is how do England play who plays for them. And I think the only thing that Borthwick needs is a is a win. And that's it. 3-0, 9-6, anything. Because then they move on to Italy, which they've never lost to Italy and they would be absolutely stunned if they were to lose to them. Um, and then you're into it and it's a bye week, more time with the players. Wales away is a very tough game. But it's a funny one, um, Mark, isn't it? Because I think Gregor Townsend was talking about this at the launch event the other week that there's kind of no footage to go on for England because they don't really know what's coming. And do they study Leicester? And then Borthwick was asked about that and he said, well, if they want to do that, fill your boots because we're going to play differently to Leicester. So it's there's so much wrapped into this Saturday, isn't there, Mark? There is another big one for me and, and maybe one we should have asked John in hindsight is around the, you know, when Scotland finally broke their Twickenham who they were last time out and won for the first time in 38 years, they... It was, of course, in, in the COVID year. Yeah, no fans, yeah. This time, there's a full house. But I was going to ask him around, you know, is there a difference between, a, you know, 80,000, 90,000 English people being against you than 80,000 French or Irish, for example, or or, 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 or Welsh? I mean, is, is it a different kind of hostility that you get at Twickenham? It probably sounds more like the House of Commons. Does it feel like that at pitch level as well? It doesn't seem to have yeah. quite this fight. I don't know, but... Um, so Mark, when um, the, the pretty last time England were out, there was an incredible lot of hostility. Mm. All of it directed at the England team. The own, their own team. Yeah, by the by the crowd. I mean, I mean, yeah. you must sense, uh, Mark. You, you, he's speaking a lot on the record, was it were, as it were, for your job or off the record with mates and international players. Surely they must sense deep down that this is a great chance. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think they have taken huge confidence, whether it was in front of a crowd or not. You know, they did win the game there last time, you know, had the astonishing comeback and then chuck a wee job in the previous game in 2019, that mad draw. So, you know, the last couple of times have gone relatively well. We just, as John said, we don't mention 2017 and who was captain that day. So, <laughs> but the last couple, you know, the, the, there's knowledge in the bank for a large number of this group that they can and have done it. That was against, you know, uh, in theory, a much more settled and developed England team than the one they're going to be facing this weekend. The, the concern would be, do England revert to type, um, you know, go after Scotland up front? Um, and, and I know Steve's going to be, as you say, it's not, you know, Steve Borthwick talking about not necessarily following the same template as uh, as the Tigers, but, you know, is he just going to revert to fundamental set-piece defence, put the ball in the air? Quite like that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a game that has you know the Scotland have struggled with traditionally. Mm -hmm. they, they have been uh, this the, with this group that you know they, they have been able to be got at by sides who play that kind of rugby. So if that's what transpires, then again they're going to have to show that they can cope with it, which uh, hasn't always been the case. Well, uh, I'm just going to ask you in a second: um, who will England be playing, and who, how would you resolve the the the, the, the debatable positions? Before you do, I. Just getting this sort of anxious about Courtney Laws, who's a fantastic, mm, yeah. I'm a fantastic player, wonderful bloke, uh, by all accounts a wonderful leader, uh, and has matured from being a sort of almost sort of psycho reserve flanker when he first came into a, a great player. But Courtney has a long period off with the concussion. Yeah, when he comes back, he gets an injury. When he comes back, he gets another. Is he? Uh, it, it's 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 kind of precarious with with Courtney at the moment. I mean, we don't know. He may come bo booming out and play in the next game, etc. But 
you are worried about him. Where else are England have England got problems or, or selectorial dilemmas? Yeah, well, Steve Borthwick a couple of weeks ago picked 36 players and he's ended up having to pick five more <laughs> because there's been injuries and ins and outs. So, yeah, Laws was one and he's not in the squad this week and won't be playing. Um, England confirmed that on Sunday night. Um, and actually this time it's a calf injury, so thankfully not another head or neck or anything to do with his brain. Um, but he's had a hell of a run, hasn't he? And Phil Dowson, his coach at Northampton Saints, was saying the other day that this recent calf injury he got against Munster a few weeks ago, he just saw him lying on the physio table just going, God, I thought bad luck came in threes, not fours and fives. Um, so he's the unlucky one. Dave Ribbons has come into the squad possibly to fill the sort of extra players rather than actually come into the team, maybe. Then the hooker thing is really interesting because Jamie George is still in camp and going through the return to play protocols, but he can only pass them absolutely by Thursday, which is the day that England are going to pick the team, as will Scotland. So Borthwick's going to kind of either have to pick him in the side, not absolutely certain that he's 100% through those protocols, or leave him out completely, which then leaves Jack Walker, who's not being capped, and Tom Dunn, who's got three caps, because George McGuigan's another guy who's out with a knee injury. The other one was confirmed on the weekend that Elliot Daly's now out for the whole Six Nations, so he's got a hamstring injury, um, and that was compounded by... Henry Slade, who's missing this week with a hip problem. So the midfield is now becoming slightly more simple. It's probably Farrell at 10, Tuolangi, and maybe Marchin or Kelly, depending on how dynamic or otherwise you want to be with that. So yeah, I think it's the midfield may be fairly simple by the end of it because it's who's left with a couple of new guys on the wings. I mentioned before, Hassel Collins, Caden Murley could come into the mix there. Max Malins has had some caps with being out of it, but two of those are going to have to play. But then there's this the, the new old figure. Do you remember Anthony Watson, Steve? Mm, I do. Yeah, I do. he's back in the squad. Played for Leicester on the weekend, Had has just come back from another injury, a foot problem. And he hadn't been in the original squad, but he could come straight back into it as someone who's got 50 caps. So lots of selection dilemmas. We'll have more clarity later in the week. We had some clarity from our colleague uh, Stuart Barnes, my school contemporary, this morning in the paper. And I disagreed with everything he said about the midfield. That's rare, isn't it? And then it is. I think <laughs> Owen Farrell, Manu Tulangi, definitely. The first two are right on the sheet. And also, I just feel really sad for Henry Slade, clearly. But I would have absolutely loved to see Elliot Daly at outside centre mm. there. He's the, he's the best natural footballer and most incisive runner that they have. Anthony Watson is a bit like we were talking about Richie Gray earlier. Someone who probably has not quite fulfilled himself, but still has a chance to. And I, I just think Anthony Watson's a fabulous player, especially when he looks to get involved, as he had, as he did on the weekend with, with the Tigers. So it's uh, you feel a little bit sorry for Borthwick with, with losing players, but everyone loses players at the moment, so it's, it's just one of those things. As a, as a little guesstimation, here we go, to, to tuck myself up massively when this isn't the team, but I, I just thinking off the top of my head, I reckon the team will be something along the lines of Genge, Jamie George, if fit, Jack Walker, if not, Sinclair, with Cole maybe on the bench, although maybe later in the tournament that could swap round if Sinclair's a better impact man. Itoji and Johnny Hill likely to stay. Then I think they've got options whether they go for like a, a double jackal, Jack Willis and Ben Curry, or a big six in Nikazikwa. I believe that's what they were training with last week, um, with Don Brandt as possibly the favourite as the number eight ahead of Simmons. And then it's JVP, probably likely to start ahead of Ben Young's they could easily swap round. Um, as we said then, Farrell, Tuolangi, I would say maybe March and just because Kelly's not been capped and perhaps him and Tuolangi together is a bit similar. 
And then they love Hassel Collins, it seems, so he'd be on one wing, Stewart at fullback, and then really unsure about the possible right wing. Murley, Malins, Watson, a couple of nice options there, but I think that's largely where it's looking. So we'll see how that goes. There we are, Mark. You and I know what the England team is now. It's just, just been announced. Mark, who do the Scots, above anyone else, uh, fear amongst the people they're likely to come up against? Or who do you think, from your experiences, is, is the danger man uh, in the England team? Hard to see. I, I see. I think collectively that that pack is probably what it boils down to, and and, and what we know or what we suspect, I suppose, is a better way of it, that they are capable of. I think Scotland have managed to get away in the last couple of editions of the fixture from that kind of stereotype of always being beaten up up front by England, but there's still that lurking away in the background of of all our imaginations as as, as to being a distinct possibility. So. I think more than one individual player, it's the collective size and, and, and ability of that pack, which would, would concern me. Another game on, a minor confrontation in Cardiff between Wales and Ireland. Uh, there have been a lot of confrontations in in Cardiff and Wales over the last few months, mostly into Nissan warfare. I was there last week for a long period and I couldn't believe the bile that's circulating there. And it came across to me at some st- stages like this enclave of the Welsh Rugby Union inside there with with the wagons circled all around, not wanting to come out and not wanting really to help everybody else out there in the wider, wider world. I found it poisonous. And uh, the the uh, departure of Steve Phillips, the chief executive, which absolutely had to happen, there was no way after the pervasive atmospheres of sexism, horrible racism and uh, misogyny down there, he could possibly stay. But uh, if anyone thinks the problems are all over now because he's gone, well, that's wrong as well. Welsh Rugby Union, especially the board, are basically a bunch of old blokes in blazers who are not contributing. Warren Gatlin is contributing, and so are the team. And as I said this before, I don't think they'll beat Ireland at Cardiff on Saturday, although I think it'll be a lot closer than people think. But by the end of the season, I think they'll have assimilated other players and be reasonably competitive. Ireland, Ireland, we come to you first, Mark. Your favourites for the title, as they are at home to France? And we'll ask Will the same question. I think, um, just to mix it up, in our official predictions yesterday, Steve, I'd gone for France to lose this weekend in, in Dublin, but then to win, uh, win, win the championship. Sorry, to lose in Dublin when they, when they go there, but to, but to win the championship. So um, that will rely on somebody else knocking over Ireland at some point, of course. Yeah, Will? Yeah, I, I've got a sneaky feeling. I think Ireland are the favourites of the bookies. I was looking this morning, and number one in the world and all that, and the only game they lost last year was to, uh, well, once to All Blacks and then the other one to France away, so pretty decent season. But it's just this endless thing with Ireland is backing it up, isn't it? Not peaking too early and all that. If they were to do it, it would be fantastic achievement and deserve. They've got a hell of a good team, but I do feel like someone is going to beat them, yeah. And... I wouldn't put it past Gatlin. He absolutely loves beating Ireland, doesn't he? Having been unceremoniously binned in the 90s there. Well, um, Johnny Sexton, not quite the equivalent to Courtney Laws in that he's always injured, but there does seem to be an ephemeral uh, look about him. So often, even if he stays on the field, he's down having treatment. Mm. He's now 103 years old. Does so much depend on him being fit? Yeah, absolutely. Completely. And, And has done for this... World Cup cycle, the last one, and probably the one before that as well. It's incredible, isn't it? 37 to be that integral to the team. I mean, Alan Wynne-Jones has been for Wales in in a similar way, but isn't as influential to the whole game plan and everything else that Sexton is. But yeah, I think 
that's why it's so hard to predict these tournaments, isn't it? Because over the seven weeks, so many different things will change, red cards, injuries and all that. But actually, in some ways, I know we, both of us, Mark and we write about England a lot and Mark writes about Scotland brilliantly loads. But there's cause to say, I think, that Wales Island could be the game of the weekend, actually, with all that's hanging on it. Gatlin's return, Ireland number one, Farrell, all that sort of stuff. It could be a belter there, couldn't it? And I I hope there's a good crowd. Yeah, I, I think that actually behind closed doors at Hensel, I think Wales have been getting their their mojo back. They were awful that time out. Also, uh, Jack Morgan is a considerable contender on the flank. Um, I think uh, Taulope Falatau has found form. A um, lot, lot, uh, lot of question marks. I'd love to see George North at outside centre, but I'd rather I'd love to see him get involved in the game like Anthony Watson. Mm. Far too good to wait for the ball to come to him, but. Uh, I, I just think that'll be a tremendous game. Uh, Mark, um, as a man who's so more, much more fluent in Italian, what I was going to say, than you are in English, but <laughs> oh, nice. I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Very fluent in Italian and a huge, um, uh, a, com- a great commentator on the Italian scene. The confidence they get from Capozzo, this marvellous lad, is that reflected in the team improving, improving around him? I think it is. You know, he's almost been this duel that's come out of nowhere for them and obviously extremely important already, as we saw both at the, the, the fag end of the last six stations and the autumn. But, you know, the, the, there was a project in place by, by the aforementioned Franco Smith, actually, when he was head coach in terms of bringing through young guys very early into the team, probably some of them before they were ready. Um, but they have now sort of accumulated a couple of years' worth of experience, some heavy defeats along the way. But the really starting to grow as a unit um, and then you know I know they, they're always talking about performance but the fact that they got a win in Wales then against Australia those are absolutely massive because they've now got some t- tangible evidence that yes the performances are coming together but they can actually win these games um, so you know from Fischetti in the front row that you guys have been watching in the Premiership to the Canone brothers elsewhere in the pack um, Garbisi brothers at half back although Stephen Varney also going well there they've actually got you know, a, a spine of a very good young team now. So, you know, whether that translates into one win, no wins, two wins this year, I, I, again, I think you'll see them take another step forward. That, that'll be absolutely wonderful because they, it just seems so lopsided. France, lads, I would just have a final word, word on them. We used to say you never know with France, but that's sort of gone out the window a bit, Will. Cause yeah, they lost their, 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 their performance is consistent. Savage blow that Cameron Wocky mm. is, is not there. And savage blow that Jonathan Dante's not there. I have to say, arguably, their best forward and their best back. But as far as you're concerned, still very dangerous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But again, a bit like the Ireland thing, backing it up. That They, for the first time in 12 years, won the title last year, and it's backing it up. And they've had a couple of little setbacks, as you mentioned. I mean, they're unbelievably sure, surely, to win against Italy away on the first weekend. But then it's an absolute belter away in Dublin and if they were to win that then you think right well the same old France as last year but if they were to lose that you slightly think okay there is a crack there I just think with this year particularly with them finishing it with a home world cup just start to see the pressure crank and crank and crank and the expectation and everyone's loving French rugby and everything's on Dupont's shoulders and all that it'd just be interesting to see if they've still got that sort of steely determination that they grew last year and have done with Gautier Edwards, Ibanez and all that, because, yeah, if they keep growing and growing, I think they'll lose, leave everyone else behind. There are just one thing I should say. My notes in front of me here that uh, it is absolutely crucial that Warren Gatlin fixes the Welsh Grum, which is embarrassed in the 
in the autumn. Um, okay, lads, it's time to put ourselves on the on the block. We didn't see any games last weekend, but we have seen a few in our time. I'm going to ask uh, uh, second, Will, first, first Mark, you're under pressure. We'd like to know the name of the Six Nations champions, please. Actually, what? Well, why? why I, 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 I'm, I'm being a coward here. I'm go on. Gonna, I'm going to go first because lead us off. I'm going to lead off because otherwise, it's like I'm cowering in the background, um, <laughs> like some of these administrators around the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, if, <laughs> we could, if I could find them to, to see if they were cowering or not, would be great. The 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 Six Nations champions this year will be Ireland, but no Grand Slam. Who's next? Come on. Now, we now go to um, up north to Mark. France also no Grand Slam. Oh. Will, um, yeah, Ireland, Ireland, no slam. Okay, so that's is that two for Ireland? Two for Ireland, one yeah, for France. Maths is always my strong point. Note of three, two for Ireland, one for France, and uh, that's uh, let's, let's let's be fair. Are we looking forward to it or not? Because I am so looking forward to the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's my ninety seventh um, Six Nations, but I'm looking forward to it unbelievably. We said at the top of the show. I think it feels like this season, if we count from the start of September. It's just lurched from one crisis to the next, particularly yeah. in English rugby. But Bernard Laporte in France with all the controversies and tax fraud allegations and all that over there. You've got the situation in Wales with the horrendous stuff that you've talked about, Steve. And uh, we'll move on in a second to the the farce of this tackle hype directive in the RFU. But it's a season where we've lost two premiership clubs and had all sorts else go on. Mm. So the great jamboree comes back and we all love it, don't we? And I think you've written... In years gone by, it's one of those things where you stumble into it in winter and b- before you know it, it's spring and it's everything's right in the world and everything. So we just need it to lift the spirits, I think, because it's been a hell of an average season of, off the field, hasn't it? Absolutely. You mentioned the premiership there. Well, we should also say, it's, apart from the two clubs going to the wall, it's been absolutely brilliant. Mark, um, you looking forward to it? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, none more so than the, the chance to see your bonny faces at Twickenham on Saturday. It'd be brilliant. That's Six Nations. We're going to come on in a minute to the fuss about tackles, tackle height. Then we'll be choosing our god and goddess of the week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Will the tackle height controversy please pick the bones up for us? Because some people, got, including myself, got no idea what's happening. Right. Well, yes, we we touched upon it, and Alex Lowe was passionate about it last week when we were doing our Six Nations launch podcast, and the, it's moved on a leap. But if we if we roll it back to a couple of Thursdays ago, so they announced that all amateur players for National One below men's game, Championship One and below in the women's will be required to tackle from below the waist. Okay, then that kicked off a few days of furious reaction, including people like Ben Stokes, the England Test cricket captain, got involved, Ireland's. 
Johnny Sexton, Andy Farrell said it was a rubbish idea. They were under increasing pressure then by last Tuesday to review it and lots of clubs around the country were starting to mobilise and pressure groups were set up. Community Clubs Union or a, a Twitter account was created that are gathering together people to put a no-confidence vote in against Bill Sweeney, the RFU executive. Um, there were lots of RFU council members told to rescind their vote and asked to resign. Then last Wednesday, the uh, RFU backed themselves again and said, look, no, we are pushing forward with this. We think it will make a game that's more entertaining to watch, was one of the many things that they talked about, as well as the science. And then we learned on Thursday night that there was a sort of panic council meeting where the RFU essentially apologised for its lack of communication to everyone in the game because it emerged that what had happened the previous week was that the vote had been about lowering the tackle height, but nothing was mentioned about the word waste. And then, shock horror, a few days later on the Thursday when the press release came out, all this stuff about waste was there. So the RFU council members were furious. Um, we heard about them and wrote about it in on Friday and in Saturday's Times. Um, and now there's going to be a big period of consultation and a sort of redefining of what the lower tackle height should be with talks across the game so it's been an utter shambles from start to finish and an incredible lack of foresight or communication i mean to take readers behind the curtain slightly and i think we mentioned this on our podcast last week this was one of the most fundamental changes that rugby union has made in its history and to start with it was announced by sharing a, a whatsapp note around there's a statement coming in 10 minutes, here you go, this is it. With no press conference organised, no detail as to how they've come to the decision, no published or peer-reviewed science that went with it either. We had to push for an off-record briefing with people at the RFU to un understand what was going on. So it's just been an utter, utter shambles, and it's not going to end. There's going to be far more to come with it, and far more news in the paper as we get it, I suppose, is the way to leave that off. So it's basically... Waste, W-A-S-T-E, or rather yeah. W-A-I-S-T. Yes. Mark Palmer, we need to know the identity of your god or goddess of the week, please. I'm going to go back to the aforementioned Ange Capuozzo for his sensational finish in the corner. Oh, unbelievable. Against Montpellier for Toulouse. A perfect segue into the Six Nations for, for that young man, I think. Uh -huh. so I was, perfect. I was um, off over the weekend, and so was Alex Lowe, who's elsewhere today, gathering news and breaking stories, but... He sent me a couple of Twitter clips on my phone. He was like, have you seen this? And there's two angles of it. And please, if you can find it, anyone, go on Twitter if you're on it and just Google Ange Capuazzo's try. It's unbelievable. He jumps over, fully over Cobus Ronak and puts the one down on the right hand. Unbelievable scene. So is he your god? No, I'm going devil oh, for the aforementioned shambles um, at the RFU. And it's just one of those where you just think, how on earth did they think this was going to go well, putting it out in the way they did? So the sort of, the faceless people... <laughs> I'm sorry, no, we need a name. Well, I, well, I, I don't know the name of the people who put the press release together and all that, but I think the RFU's communications on this has been desperate and the, uh, they probably deserve the devil of certainly last week and the week before that. So the communications department, would you say the devil? Yeah, I mean, it's not all of them and it's... Some of it's directed from above and all that, and I know that they've got a job to do that they're told to do, but, yeah, I think that was a major oversight to do it in the way they did, and they they are now apologising for it and trying to backtrack. So OK, they, so we should get mega and personal apology from Beelzebub, whoever she, whoever she or he may be. <laughs> and uh, mine is Charlotte Wathan, who'd been verbally and abused in the Welsh Rugby Union. Uh, she'd been told that by someone that that he would like to tie her up and, and basically molest her, and that's that was despicable. 
Charlotte had the guts to come out on TV and despite her fears and despite her tears, explain the whole culture of the Welsh Rugby Union and it led and has already led to change and let's hope that uh, it becomes a governing body worthy of the name in one of the most fanatical rugby countries because at the moment the Welsh Rugby Union still is an absolute disaster. But the very last word goes to Will. Yeah, I was just going to mention, um, we talked a few times on this podcast about the Rugby Writers Club and the Pat Marshall Awards, which goes to the Rugby Personality of the Year. The members vote for it. And last year, I delivered the trophy to Monsieur Dupont um, in the hospitality suite of Toulouse, which was fine, a fine trip for me. Um, but this time it went to Sarah Hunter, the outstanding Red Rose number eight, record caps breaker and all that. And our friends saw her at Worcester game she was playing Loughborough Lightning. And yeah, Nick Heath, uh, who's appeared on this podcast before, presented a surprise her with Emily Scarrett with a trophy. So I thought, honourable mention to Sarah, who was a fine recipient of that award, so that all the way back to Mervyn Davis and everyone else. So she's now got her name forever etched on that trophy. Third female player to ever win it. So good on her. Great call, Will. Many congratulations to Sarah Hunter. Worthy recipient. To everyone listening, have a fantastic Six Nations yourselves. We'll be back next week. 